Amen. If you guys have your seats, uh, as opposed to having someone else's seat, as you have your seats, I want you to uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. It's been a good morning of worship so far. We've sang some songs we're familiar with, and we had an Advent reading, and Jared had an Aretha moment. It has been a good day so far. So, Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 39. In those days... Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country. This is not the hill country we're familiar with. But in the hill country of Judah. Where she entered Zechariah's house and she greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when, you, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is he, blessed is she, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. It's very popular in 2018 to announce that your baby is on the way. Uh, when you uh, do a quick search on the internet, you find the top 10 baby announcement hashtags, which are uh, pretty straightforward, but I'm going to go through them with you nonetheless. Hashtag baby announcement. That's for the, keeping it clean and simple. <laughs> Hashtag baby. Simpler. Hashtag pregnant. Hashtag baby boy comes in slightly ahead of hashtag baby girl, though the numbers in our culture tell us that is not quite true. It's even, but hashtag baby bump, hashtag pregnancy announcement, hashtag mom. We just made it about ourselves. That's what it's happening. <laughs> hashtag baby shower, hashtag mom life. Not only do we announce babies with, uh, that we're going to have children, we announce what the gender of the baby will be. And those gender reveal parties, uh, they range anywhere from boring to the popping of a balloon for everyone to see. And if that's the way you announce your baby, I think it was wonderful. Or it could get to the place where it's something that gets out of control. I read this story in the newspaper the other day about a gender reveal party. Uh, Think this through this. When gender reveals videos began appearing on YouTube a decade ago, they featured couples taking part in a fair, lo, fairly low impact activity. Popping balloons, released pink or blue confetti, or cutting into cakes filled with pink or blue icing. Nothing wrong with any of that. Some of us have done that. Cool. However, Dennis Dickey, an off duty Border Patrol agent, was celebrating his wife's pregnancy at a party near Green Valley, Arizona. I want to stop right here and let you know, though this is announced that it's taking place in Arizona, there is nothing more Texas than what's about to happen in this story. On April the 23rd of 2017, his, his attorney told the Arizona Daily Star on Friday, in preparation, he had filled a target, target, not the store, but a target. With colored powder. When it exploded, it would reveal their child's gender. Uh, pink for a girl or blue for a boy. The target also contained Tannerite. A legal but highly explosive substance. The U.S. Forest Service Special Agent Brent Robinson wrote in an affidavit. When Dickey fired his rifle at the target... 
The ensuing explosion sparked a fire which quickly spread through the dry brush spurred by an unusual high wind and lower than average rainfall. By the time it was fully contained over a a week later, the fire had covered 47,000 acres and done $8 million worth of damage. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Jared and I sat together and talked about this a couple of weeks ago and everyone was laughing about the story like you terrible people are. In Luke 1, we don't see Mary on, we see Mary on her way to visit her cousin Elizabeth. She does not know that Mary is pregnant. They couldn't text message one another. There was no popping of a balloon to see if it was a boy or a girl. There were no Instagram hashtags. But we have this joy-filled, sacred moment between two women, neither of whom is supposed to be pregnant. And there's joy that's there. A little timeline for you as we build up to Luke. Uh... Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, was a priest, and he was doing shift work as far as the priesthood went. And while he was working out his shift, he had a visit from the angel Gabriel. This angelic being let him know that his wife was going to have a baby. Now, here's the thing about Zachariah. He's super old. Elizabeth is also super old. Both of them are serious. Like, they have been around since the Dead Sea was sick. And between the two of them, he, began, or he begins to doubt the angel Gabriel. And when he doubts the angel Gabriel, this angel standing before him, God does not allow him to speak until the birth of the child. Uh, Gabriel... Uh, during uh, uh, Elizabeth's sixth month, is sent to a young woman named Mary. You've heard of her. And he lets her know that she will miraculously conceive a baby. Mary is amazed at what she is told, uh, but unlike Zechariah, she does not question anything. And Jesus is miraculously conceived in her womb. At that point, she leaves and she goes on this journey, three to four day journey, to visit this cousin of hers. And when she gets to visit the cousin, this is Elizabeth, there is a realization and a recognition of the fact of Elizabeth and the baby in her womb that Mary is great with, or or that Mary is going to have a baby and this baby would be the savior of the world. Mary stays with her for three months until Elizabeth is about to have the baby. Before she has the baby, Mary leaves because she knows that's going to be a lot of work for her soon enough, so she might as well get out. Elizabeth gives birth to John six months before the arrival of Jesus. And then Zechariah is allowed to speak again. So we get to Luke 1, verses 39 through 45, and we see this text about the meeting of these two women. And I want you just to think for a moment about what's taking place here. You have two women in a culture where women were not accepted, were not valued, uh, were actually, people would pray to the Lord and say things like this, Thank you, God, that I have not been born a Gentile or a woman. Husbands, don't work that one in this week at dinner. 
But when these two women meet together, there is a celebration of the blessing that God has given given both of them. And there's a celebration that He would do this in such a miraculous way. The Bible reads that she is advanced in years. One translation says that she was almost dead. Almost dead. I went to the movie with the boys the other day, and Shepard said, Daddy, do you know that Spider-Man's really... Peter Parker's really old in this movie. He's like 40. He's not eaten since then. Uh, But you have these two women meet together. One woman who some believe is in her 80s. Another woman who has never had a relationship with a man... And God has began the work of displaying His salvation for the world through them. I think this says something about who God is able to use. In their world, neither of them were acceptable. And neither of them would have been highly valued. Yet the God of the Bible chooses to make Himself known through these women... The one of them would have a baby that would declare, the one who's coming after me is greater than me. You have this idea of, of the blessing in the passage. You, you read through, and we can look at the... Let's just look at it again, beginning in verse, 40, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit... There is the idea that God is doing a supernatural work even in the womb. This speaks to what takes place in wombs when when babies are born, when babies are present before birth. Then she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. Now this word for blessing in this passage is, it, it means you should be celebrated. Elizabeth is deferring in the way that she'll ask her that God will ask her son to defer. Mary, what's going to happen in you that is more important than what's happening to me? She doesn't know she's pregnant until she gets there. You should be praised among women, and your child will be praised and celebrated. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Because when I heard you, the baby inside of me, he leaped with joy. I don't know if we really grasp what joy is. I think we get what happiness is. We get that there are certain things that we can do that will bring emotion to us that we did not have before. If our football team wins, we are exceedingly happy. If the uh, if we find out that our tax return is larger than we expected it, to be, we are incredibly happy. That's not quite what the concept of joy is. This baby leaping inside of her was leaping for something more, for something more important. Blessed, verse 45, is the is she who believed that the Lord will fulfill what he has spoken to her. Now that word, blessed, is different than the other word, blessed. This word, blessed, is uh, the idea of, of a deep joy. Elizabeth is saying to Mary, what is taking place in you is God at work miraculously. 
more miraculous than even him being at work in me here. Elizabeth is saying to Mary, the, the joy of the Lord is deep within you that you would realize that he would use you in this way. It, when the baby leaps, it reminds me of the Christmas classic Elf where Buddy sees a false Santa on the display and says, I know him, I know him. There's a realization here in this passage that John the Baptist, even in the womb, recognized Jesus for who he was and that there was something deep and sacred happening within that God's prophecies are taking us here. That the fulfillment of all that God has promised is in this young woman. And the one who will point to that promise is in this older woman. And the joy of the Lord has made himself known to each of them. John the Baptist is a pretty big deal in the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with John the Baptist, he ate bugs. I do not recommend that. John the Baptist... Um, would prophesy as to who Jesus was, this coming king. He leaps in the womb here, and when we look through the Scriptures, we even see in John chapter 1, uh, uh, John the evangelist, John the writer, that he gets a small snippet of that passage that no preacher ever preaches because they're in this John 1, 1 through 18. But in 6 and 7 it says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. He's pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus. He's always pointing to Jesus. And then we see that John will have this ministry where he's baptizing. Where he's immersing people in water. Calling people to repent. He even gets to say to the Pharisees that they are a terrible people regularly. And in John chapter 3 verse 22 we see John's joy. A deep joy that's been there from the beginning. Contrasted with the joy that comes with the circumstance of popularity. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Picking up in verse 22. After Jesus had met with Nicodemus, in that popular, well-known text, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and he baptized. John, the Baptist, was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not been thrown in prison. This is an aside. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one who you've been talking about, the one you testified about, and who was with you across the Jordan, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. Everything is good for John and his followers until Jesus comes along. 
There was plenty for them to find joy in in connection to John. Yet we have this moment where we see the cliche of the rubber meeting the road, though they didn't really have either. And you see John the Baptist and the deep joy that has been offered him in God meet together with people who were grateful for the opportunity to be associated with him. It's the idea of me receiving the praise of men for who I spend time with. And when that person is no longer popular, my praise is diminished. C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he talks about before he was a Christian, he was always trying to find joy in things. And before he became a Christian, here are the things that he would do. He would binge on things. In the way that we binge television show, C.S. Lewis would binge books. He binged on a, a book for the first time. It was an Icelandic saga, and he loved it. Because he loved it so much and found so much joy in this book, he read every saga of Iceland. And he learned Old Norse so he could read those in the original language. And as it turns out, just because you like one thing does not mean you like the next. When he realized that his joy was not to be found in these books, he binged on friendships and relationships. And when those friendships would end up being lacking... He would move to another thing. He binges and he binges and he binges and he comes to the realization that I hope that all of us would come to. That these things are pointing to something, but they are not the ultimate substance. John the Baptist realized who this Savior was and his people, though they had heard him testify, did not. And they were finding their satisfaction in the fact that they were able to be around John. And in this scriptural scenario, the attention that John has been receiving and that they have been receiving as it overflowed ceases to be. Their circumstance shifts and their allegiance then will shift. When your circumstances shift, does the joy that's present because of God, does that shift? Joy in the Bible is this deep-rooted concept that swells up in us and that is not in regard to our circumstance, but it is actually in opposition to it. We look and we see that it's very much like when our moms and our dads would say things to us about having treats before dinner. What would your mom say to you when you wanted a cookie before dinner had come? You're going to do what to your appetite? I like cookies regardless, whenever. But you will spoil your appetite. The trouble with eating any type of candy is it gives you this buzz and it masks the fact that your body actually needs something else. And for many of us, the things that the circumstances that cause good things to come to us, the money and relationships and, and power and influence, those things are spiritual sugar, if you will. They give us a, a rush in the moment, but there will come a time when the rush of those things is not there. And for John the Baptist's followers, that rush was leaving. These aren't bad things. They're just treats that can be misused. 
the attention was about to leave them and shift to the one who is greater. The attention was a snack that was not going to sustain. What happens to Christians is that we say, Oh, I believe in God and I know that I'm going to heaven, but our uh, actual day-to-day happiness and circumstance, that can shift. We keep going back to the sensation of attention or relationship or money or whatever, and then when those things are not there, our grasp of who the God of who has given those good things to us, it misses there will be a point when all of these things that mesmerize us, that are treats, that are not the substance that will sustain us, when they make us sick. John the Baptist isn't like that. He knows, he knows a little better. And what we find in verse 26 is pretty interesting. They came to John and they told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about who was with you across the Jordan, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. And John, John the Baptist responded, No one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. But I've been sent ahead of him. He who has... The bride is the groom. But the groom's friend, who we would historically call the best man, he stands by and he listens for him. And he rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine, it's complete. It's fully complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Verse 30, it all comes to this. For the one whose joy in the Lord is not based on the circumstances that they get, but based in the God of all circumstances, there is a realization that our joy is complete. The idea of the bridegroom and this whole story. Ancient tradition teaches us this. That the friend of the bridegroom is not allowed in any way, shape, or form to have any type of affection for the bride. So when you read John the Baptist saying this about Jesus, he is saying, I knew this attention would come to him. And I find deep joy in that. I find great affection in that. I find great joy and and happiness and all of these things in the fact that the, the one who is in front of me, he's always been more important than me. He's who I leapt for in my mother's womb. He's who I pushed us to consider as I've talked about him and as I have pointed to the light that he would offer C.S. Lewis goes on to say these these things the beauty, the memory of our past they are good images of what we really desire but if they are mistaken for the thing itself turn into dumb idols breaking the hearts of their worshippers for they are not the thing itself they are only the scent of a flower we have not found The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from a country we have never visited. John the Baptist has men coming up to him and they were saying, 
We've had all of this attention and all of this affection and all of this reception. And we're not going to get that anymore. And John is saying, good. Because I've always been pointing to Him. I've always been pointing to what He would offer and how He would offer it because everything that I have said, it, it finds its completion in Him. The scent is Jesus. The song is the salvation that He offers. The country that we would go to is that He is our King. Joy is only found in Him. It's always been found in Him. It's a joy that holds, a joy that sustains, a joy that meets us in the middle of life's difficulty and reminds us that God's presence is not leaving. John, if you are unfamiliar with the story, would eventually die from being beheaded. He was in Herod's prison, and he sent a word to Jesus. And the word that he sent to Jesus was a question. Are you the one, the one who's been promised? Or should I wait for another? In the depths of despair, in the loneliest of places. Even for John, the great New Testament prophet who would point to Jesus... He needed to be assured by one who was greater. When the man reached him, he got to Jesus and said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one or is he to, or, or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, of afflictions and of evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people and he repi replied to them, Go and you report this to John. What you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight and the lame they walk. And those with leprosy are cleansed. And the deaf hear and the dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. Jesus quoting a prophecy about the Messiah. I am everything. Let John know that I am everything that I have always been. And that though his circumstance is difficult, I'm worth every ounce of what he's, every ounce of energy that he's expending. How often are we people who look at our lives and say to ourselves, Am I pointing to the joy that I have in Jesus even when things are hard and relationships are difficult and money is tight and life is stressful? Is my joy greater than my circumstance? Do this with me this morning. I invite you to bow your heads. We're going to sing about Jesus, the Messiah. And as we sing, if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Him, the joy that He offers is one that does not necessarily make your problems go away. But the joy that He offers is His consistent presence in the middle of it.
And if you never trusted Christ, I would invite you to trust Christ this morning. Many of us are believers. I know you. I know your faces. I know, I know your families. I would encourage us to wrestle with this text as well. The story of John who leapt for joy and whose joy was complete and even in the most difficult of spaces needed to be reassured that Jesus was everything that he said he was. If you would like to spend time in prayer as we sing feel free if you would like for me to pray for you please know that I do and I'll be in the back corner of the room if you want me to pray over you personally Jesus we trust you this morning we trust you hopefully more than we trust ourselves because we end up wanting and lacking when we place our trust in ourselves Jesus, show yourself to us as a people and show yourself through us as your people. We thank you for your love for us and for your care for us and I pray that as we wrestle with all that you teach us about joy, that it will be obvious that we have been with the Lord. We ask all this in His powerful name.